Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here as we are beginning to end yet another week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley, also by email. I can be reached at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Great to have you on board. In the days and weeks ahead, we're going to be joined by Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who was critical to bringing down uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Really, nobody kind of expected that from her, but she stood up and she joined with the group, Matt Gates and others, in order to do that, to get us a much better speaker. So she is going to join us next week. Also, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, we've got so many others uh, that we're working on lined up. So big guests coming at you. Never miss a Monica Crowley podcast. Later today, we're going to be joined by our longtime friend and broadcasting legend, Bill O'Reilly. Bill is going to join us. He's got a new book out called Killing the Witches about the Salem witch trials and witch hunts. And when you hear President Trump calling everything that is happening to him witch hunts, you know that what happened in Salem, Massachusetts in the late 1600s carries with us today. And one of the biggest reasons why is because of human nature, the creation of the mob, the need to have an accuser and an accused. Uh, human nature never ends and it never really changes much. So what can we learn from Salem in the late 1600s that applies to today? A hell of a lot. So Bill O'Reilly is going to join us here in a couple of minutes, and we'll talk some politics with him as well about Biden, Trump, and where we are going into 2024. Not to be missed. First up, though, the Monica Memo. We have a news potpourri coming at us, so I want to cover a bunch of different things here because it's like drinking out of a fire hose every day that I show up to do the show. It's, I'm, I try to sort out what we want to talk about, the important things to hit, and there are always so many things that it's really hard to keep up. So today, I want to deal with a number of uh, major issues on our plate today. Um, it does look like we are going to have to take our disposable income elsewhere from the event management company and ticketing company Eventbrite. So Eventbrite has apparently thrown off uh, the women's sports personality and our friend who was on this show a couple of weeks ago, Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines, a, a champion swimmer, who has taken a principal stance against dudes in women's sports because she suffered the consequences of uh, Thomas, 
swimming against her where her whole life's work uh, got erased in an instant because a dude decided at the last minute to swim against chicks. So she has taken a principal stand and taken a lot of incoming because she is fighting for girls and women in sports to have fairness in sports and have these biological men not compete against women. So she was promoting an event called Protecting Women's Sports with Riley Gaines, and she was uh, promoting it on Eventbrite, where you can buy tickets to it. And last week, she posted a communication to Twitter that she received from Eventbrite, notifying her that her event would be removed from its website for, quote, violating community guidelines and terms of service. She did none of that, but she was thrown off along with her event. So she took to Twitter to call for a boycott of the company over the removal of her event. She said, quote, I love all the people in my comments saying they've deleted their Eventbrite account. Give them the Bud Light treatment. Well, this is not the first event that has used a traditional definition of women as an excuse to be removed from the site. Earlier this year, Eventbrite uh, removed an event sponsored by the Independent Women's Network um, on the exact same issue, and they specifically called for, quote, informed, open, and civil debates. Well, Eventbrite uh, came in and removed their event page and basically is like raging against anybody who wants to stand for girls and women, particularly in sports. So the fallout for Eventbrite is now happening swiftly. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has now directed his office and his political committee to stop using Eventbrite. And he's saying this is totally unfair. And he's also citing Eventbrite's hypocrisy in permitting what he calls pro-Hamas events while going after women's events for, quote, violations of the rules. So he said, uh, we have fired Eventbrite. Also, sports media company Outkick, which employs Riley Gaines, also pointed out the hypocrisy of Eventbrite servicing some of these pro-terrorist events while banning Riley Gaines. One event advertised on Eventbrite after Gaines' event was banned was called Stop the Genocide, Free Palestine, hosted at the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Community Center in New York City. The organizers or Eventbrite have removed the page, but you've got an archived version of it calling Hamas terrorists, quote, resistance fighters and accusing Israel of conducting, quote, a total war against the citizens of Gaza. The organization also called any force used by Israel, quote, settler colonial violence. After it highlighted Eventbrite's hypocrisy, Outkick noted that the organization removed pro-Palestinian rally listings, including the one that we just described. Okay, so Eventbrite obviously has no problem if you want to be a terrorist sympathizer. Putting all kinds of events up about that, you want to rally for Hamas, no problem. But if you want to rally or attend an event for Riley Gaines, defending and protecting women and girls in sports and elsewhere in society, well, we have no time for you if you are Eventbrite. So Riley Gaines is exactly right. We need to give Eventbrite the Bud Light treatment, the Disney treatment, the Target treatment. You take your disposable dollars elsewhere. 
go seek out another company for your tickets and for your events. Just do it because the only thing that they understand is when it hits them in the bottom line. You have the power of your own wallet. Use your money wisely. Not that they care because the co-founder and chairman of Eventbrite, a guy named Kevin Hartz, not uh, the comedian Kevin Hart, Kevin Hartz, uh, responded to all of this backlash by saying, quote, please go F yourself. So many of these CEOs, they just don't care what you think. They're virtue signaling all day long and could care less. So no, Mr. Hartz, we won't go F ourselves, but we will F your company. Here's a question. If a dude is faking it and identifying as a chick, he's granted a safe space for his free expression. But if someone who is authentically Jewish and identifies as such, he or she is afforded no safe space. In fact, just the opposite. They are more endangered We're seeing this raging anti-Semitism across college campuses. It is happening everywhere. It's raging. It is rampant. It is open. So if you identify as Jewish and you are authentically Jewish, no safe space for you. The Jewish people who have been persecuted for millennia should be one of the most protected groups And instead, they're one of the most threatened. And all of these Western societies, including ours, are encouraging it, allowing it, making excuses for it. It turns my stomach. I'm sure you've seen that uh, in a lot of big cities, there are posters of Israeli hostages, people being held hostage by Hamas. These posters of these individuals are popping up all across major cities. And it recalls after 9-11 in New York, downtown, there were so many people who put up um, makeshift posters of their loved ones who they hadn't heard from in hours and then days and then weeks. And obviously, they were part of the nearly 30,000 people who were killed in those terrorist attacks. So these posters are very reminiscent of 9-11. And they just want people to put a face and a name to the news stories that they're hearing about these Israeli hostages being held uh, by Hamas as bargaining chips. They want to humanize the story of what Israel is going through. Well, these monsters are trampling through these cities and they're tearing down these posters. I mean, the posters are not hurting anybody But that's not the point. The point is, these are raging anti-Semites. They are terrorist sympathizers. And frankly, by the way, they're Marxist as well and globalists. I mean, this is all the same revolution, guys. All the same revolution. So these monsters are tearing these posters down. What kind of person tears down a poster of uh, a hostage? including children, by the way, but they're tearing them down. And now we've got two of our main propaganda outlets, the New York Times and the Washington Post, both publishing stories claiming that it is a valid form of protest, tearing down these posters. 
excusing that kind of behavior, excusing these kinds of anti-Semitic monsters, these demons that are doing this kind of thing, obviously then it logically follows that you're going to have physical attacks on the Jewish people here and abroad, not just in Israel. As horrific as that is, that is the center of the ultimate anti-Semitism coming from the Islamic world. And by the way, I think people need a refresher course on the true nature of Islam and Islamic conquest. That's a conversation for another day, but what do you think all this is? Okay? So obviously the logical endpoint of all of this is physical attacks on the Jewish people. We saw it on October 7th and subsequently in Israel, but we're seeing it now across the West and here in the United States, primarily on college campuses, where you had a group of Jewish students who were so afraid they locked themselves, barricaded themselves in the Cornell Library because the terrorist sympathizers were banging on the door. And they were encouraged to, quote, hide in the attic. I'm not making this up. Jews were encouraged to hide in an attic. Then just this week, in fact, I think this was yesterday, there was video that was posted by a Twitter account called Visegrad24. You can go check it out. They posted a video of Harvard students. Harvard, supposedly the cream of the crop. No, I'm sorry. These people are disgusting, revolting criminal anti-Semites. Video of Harvard students attacking a Jewish student, physically attacking a Jewish student on campus during an anti-Israel, pro-Hamas, terrorist-sympathizing protest. And get this, one of the uh, people attacking this Jewish student, Ibrahim Barmal, the editor of the Harvard Law Review. So all of these universities, diversity is our strength. They brought in a ton of Muslim students, some of whom are terrorist sympathizers, engaging in this kind of activity, elevate them to the editor of the Harvard Law Review. By the way, wasn't Barack Obama the editor of the Harvard Law Review? I think so. I think so. So it's all BS. They elevate the worst of the worst. Now, hedge fund guru Bill Ackman, uh, to his great credit, has been tweeting against this raging anti-Semitism, and he was the very first one to call for a boycott of these students attacking Jewish students, uh, the the pro-Hamas, the the pro-terrorist protests. He said, none of us should be hiring these kids out of Harvard or Penn or Yale or wherever. And so good for him. I mean, it's a day late and a dollar short because this kind of raging radicalism has been all across our campuses for decades. And these really wealthy guys like Ackman have been pouring tens of millions of dollars into their alma maters like Harvard. And where did they think this money was going? What did they think was going on on these college campuses? Did they not know? Were they not paying attention? Did they not care? I don't know. But now they're awake. And again, better late than never. So Ackman retweets this Visegrad 24 account with the video of the Harvard students attacking the Jewish student. And he wrote, quote, how are these students not immediately suspended? How does this not violate Harvard's code of conduct for students? 
How would Harvard respond if the affected student were Black, Latino, or LGBTQIA, etc., etc.? How does this man remain editor of the Harvard Law Review? Very good question. Very good question, Mr. Ackman. Hello, Harvard. Any response? These people are the most disgusting, indoctrinating. These these universities are indoctrination factories that are poisoning the minds of your children. And it's not just the elite universities. It's all the colleges and it's all the way down to your preschooler. I remember years ago, I was on a radio, WABC in New York, and we were getting close to Thanksgiving. It was like this time of year. And one of the callers called me and said, Monica, and again, this is years ago. She said, Monica, my grandson is in preschool and he is now being taught that Thanksgiving is the first redistributionist holiday. So the indoctrination is going all the way down to what, three, four years old? We're all focused on the universities and they're they're just cesspools of hate breeding grounds for this kind of radicalism so that the left has a standing army going forward forever. But the indoctrination starts when that baby comes out of the womb, if they allow the baby to come out of the womb. Speaking of Israel, we have a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. He is pissing off one Democrat at a time, and we like that. Um, today, they're going to vote in the House on the Israel spending package, $14.3 billion, um, to go to Israel to provide military and other kind of assistance to our key ally. But here's the kicker. Rather than just passing a massive spending bill, the Republicans led by Johnson are actually paying for the bill by taking that money away from the IRS, In the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which was none of that, uh, the IRS was to gain 87,000 new agents to come after you. So in order to pay for this uh, spending package for Israel, the Republicans said, fine, we support Israel. There's bipartisan uh, support for this. Israel is in a crisis. So we're happy to, to pass this bill, but we have to pay for it. So we're going to pay for it by taking money out from the IRS. Democrats have gone crazy. They're calling this like an unprecedented bar in this new bill. They are outraged. Biden has said if it passes the Senate as well, he will veto it. Imagine fighting this hard for the IRS. This is how much they hate you. Meanwhile, Lindsey Graham, I guess, on quote, our side, you know, just did his whole neocon thing. And he went out on television and Lindsey Graham and the leftists and the Biden White House are all, oh, no, 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 we can't pay for this. This is an emergency. We need to get this through like now. Oh, and also we need to tie all of the money together, all $100 billion of it, with most of it, by the way, going for Ukraine, because Zelensky, we love you. They're not fighting for democracy in Ukraine. There is no democracy in Ukraine. No, they're fighting for their neat, massive money laundering operation to continue. They want their corrupt gravy train to keep plugging along.
Got to keep lining those pockets. Their pockets aren't going to keep lining themselves. That's why they're pushing this. They say they want to help Israel during the war. Great. Here's a bill that does that. And it's paid for out of the obscene new money going to the IRS. Democrats and the neocons are not down with that. They don't really want to help anybody. They're out there BSing you all day long. Oh, we really care about the Israelis. Oh, we really care about the Ukrainians. No, they don't. They care about lining their own pockets. And they're not down with, because if they really cared about Israel, they would pass this bill today. But you're going to see a giant mess come out of this House vote today on this because the Democrats, the ruling class, they need to keep the money laundering going. So they aren't down with what Speaker Johnson and the GOP are going to put in front of them today, a standalone spending bill for Israel, because it makes too much sense and because it exposes their corrupt grift and because it stops their money laundering. These demons are despicable. Corrupt, lying thieves is what they are. The House is going to vote on this today. Uh, We are going to keep a close eye on it, like I said. It will probably die in the Senate, or there is no bill in the Senate because they want the Ukraine money all tied in. If it even gets there, whatever, they're going to have to go to conference, hash it out. If they can, maybe they won't be able to. I don't know. But already Speaker Johnson has earned his speakership just with this one move. But yesterday he came forward and said he's interested in doing a continuing resolution, a CR, to keep the government funded until January 15th. And strong conservatives like Congressman Eli Crane, he's like, no way, no way. And this was the biggest issue that tripped up Kevin McCarthy just punting the ball on government spending with no uh, cuts and just keep it going at Nancy Pelosi's spending levels, no way, we're done. So this is a little problematic. We're going to have to watch Speaker Johnson and how he moves forward with this. But, you know, to tell you how afraid the left is of uh, Speaker Johnson, the Daily Beast did what they thought was a hit piece on him yesterday, basically smearing him as, get this, poor. Matt Fuller wrote this uh, supposed hit piece in the Daily Beast. He said, Mike Johnson doesn't have any retirement savings, own a single stock, or have any assets at all. He has less than $5,000 in his bank account. He's got a $250,000 to $500,000 mortgage, a home equity loan, and a personal loan. So what's his retirement plan, he asks, to lobby? Well, I guess Speaker Johnson could get rich by selling out America to the Chinese like Biden did, right? Or insider trading like Speaker Pelosi did, right? They're all aghast that he's like a normal middle-class American and has not engaged in this kind of unethical, illegal activity, selling out his office and his position to get rich. These people are gross. Getting back to uh, the terrorist threat here at home, um, there was an incredible exchange between Senator Josh Hawley, who is amazing, and the DHS Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is 
Well, in my opinion, there are there the entire Biden cabinet is disgusting and evil, but the two probably biggest are Mayorkas and Garland. But Mayorkas at DHS with a wide open border allowing terrorists and everybody else to come in still employs someone who is, get this, an asylum and immigration officer who is sitting there deciding who comes in to the country via asylum claims. Okay, this person on October 7th, the day of the attack on Israel, literally posted on social media, and I quote, F Israel, the government and its military, are you ready for your downfall? F Israel and any Jew who supports Israel, may your conscience haunt your dreams until your last breath. Palestine will be free one day. F apartheid Israel. Okay, so obviously this person is a terrorist sympathizer. This person is actively encouraging the assault uh, on Jews around the world, including here at home. And this person works for the Department of Homeland Security. This person has been placed on administrative leave, but has not been fired. Why are we still paying her salary? Good question. So we've got Jews under attack here and abroad, and we've got people now working for the Department of Homeland Security whose salaries we pay openly celebrating the attack on Israel and not being fired for it. So earlier this week, Senator Hawley had had enough, and he had the pathological scumbag DHS Secretary Mayorkas in front of him, and he asked him all about this case. Here's how that went down an employee of the Department of Homeland Security, who posted these comments on October the 7th. That's not all she posted. She also posted this graphic. Now, this is a fake graphic, I want to be clear, but I think we understand it. This is a paraglider, a Hamas paraglider, depicted here with a machine gun flying into Israel. She posted it under her online alias with the celebratory Free Palestine. Mr. Secretary, what, what's going on here? Is this, is this typical of, of people who work at DHS? This is an asylum and immigration officer who is posting these, frankly, pro-genocidal slogans and images on the day that Israelis are being slaughtered in their beds. What have you done about this? Four things I'd like to say to you. Number one, your question to suggest that it, that is emblematic of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security is despicable. I'm sorry, what have you, this person works for the Department of Homeland Security. Have you fired her? That was one of four answers. Have you fired her? One. Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room when Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question? Well, good for Senator Hawley. Uh, We want to see some action here, but at least he's raising the awareness of what is actually going on with the terrorists who have infiltrated our government from top to bottom. This began as a Muslim Brotherhood operation way back 20, 30 years, maybe more to infiltrate our government. So these people are all, they're deeply, deeply um, embedded, burrowed into the government.
This is one thing that Donald Trump says next time. Man, you know, I didn't know what I was sitting on top of last time. This time we know. We're get, getting rid of all of these people. But the left, Mayorkas and Biden, they have no problem with this kind of raging anti-Semite terrorist sympathizer in the DHS. So good for Holly for holding him to account. One final thing here before we turn to Bill O'Reilly. Your FBI director, Christopher Wray, was also in front of Congress this week warning about what we have been warning about for years, the internal terrorist threat. So this demonic administration lets in 10 million plus illegals in two and a half, three years, no idea who they are, where they are, what they're doing, or what they're planning to do. And suddenly your FBI director is concerned about the terror threat. These people hate you. They think you're stupid and they hate you. They could care less if you live or die. Truly. So now Christopher Ray is concerned now that the damage is done. And now that every American life is in danger. Here's Christopher Ray being asked by, I think it was Senator Rick Scott of Florida, like, um, hey, man, are we safer today under Biden than we were under President Trump? And and there's this long pause from Ray, and then he gives us some BS. But then when he is pressed on the terrorist threat, here is how he answers. Unbelievable. The ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. In just the past few weeks, multiple foreign terrorist organizations have called for attacks against Americans and the West. Oh, so now Christopher Ray is concerned. No expression of concern while the border has been wide open and you've got 10 million plus, probably closer to 12 million, maybe more in the last three years. All of a sudden now, yeah, the terror threat is escalating. Yeah, it's, it's elevated. What I mean, they just lie to you because they hate you. This is the ruling class versus the rest of us. The people who are supposed to protect you are endangering you the most. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to our good friend Bill O'Reilly about all of this and the mob going way back. You're not going to want to miss this. Sit tight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, guys, welcome back. And I am so happy to have with us today, once again, the one and only the broadcasting legend of the O'Reilly Factor and now of the No Spin News, which you can find every day at BillOReilly.com, best-selling author many, many times over, and my friend, Bill O'Reilly. Hi, Bill. Monica, how are you doing? 
I am doing great. And it's always great to talk to you. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Well, it is my pleasure. And we are going to get to uh, some politics here in a moment. But I do want to start with your terrific new book, which is the latest in your record-breaking killing series. It's called Killing the Witches, The Horror of Salem, Massachusetts. It's available now wherever you get your books, so please go get it. And Bill, as I'm going through this book, it struck me that so much of the Salem witch hunts and the witch trials are relevant to today. Is that why you wanted to take this on? Yeah, this is the 13th killing book, and I could write about anything I want, it's the most successful nonfiction book series in the world. Um, but I picked the Salem witch trials because the witch trials are back in America in 2023 under the banner of cancel culture. It's the same thing. We don't hang people today, but we certainly destroy lives on unfounded accusations. So the first third of the book, we take you back to the 1690s, put you on the Mayflower. And Monica, you and I would not have wanted to book passage on the Mayflower. That was <laughs> not, you know, Americans, oh, Mayflower, pilgrims, past the stuffing. No, this was harrowing. Mm -hmm. And they finally get here, 66 days from Plymouth, England, and then it gets worse. The Puritans are at each other's throats, the fanatical uh, theology they impose on the people, um, and then it gets even worse than that. They all go crazy and begin accusing innocent people of consorting with the devil, which is what witchcraft really is. And two weeks later, if you're accused, you might have a rope around your neck. It's really unbelievable to go back and, and read these stories, because as you point out, it really happened over the span of two years, 1692 and 1693, when you had this, this evil descend on Salem Village. But, you know, as you point out, it comes across in the book, this is human nature. It's human nature to want to accuse. It's human nature to want to feel superior and have power over someone. It's human nature to engage in a mob and have the mob mentality take over. But this whole thing sort of really started. And you know what? Also, Bill, society is always hanging by a thread. Even when times are good, even when things seem relatively stable in your community or your country or the world, it's always just hanging by a thread. And when something happens, even a relatively minor trigger, it can all of a sudden become like Lord of the Flies, right? And people sure. are turning on each other and the mob is reacting. And that's what happened here in Salem, right? Human nature hasn't changed since uh, the Neanderthals um, started standing up straight. And there's always been a struggle between the people who want to rule and the people who are subjugated. So in the New World, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the clerics, the Puritans, rule by fear. So you do what I say or you're going to hell. All right? And the people were buying it. Not all of them, 
Roger Williams uh, split to uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and threw all of that, you know, out the window. But most people back then believed that an act of evil, a devil that could come to your house, and they were almost imprisoned by these clerics. Enter these young girls, 9, 10, 11, 12, who had no childhood, because if you were a kid in uh, Massachusetts Bay, you had to go to four hours of church twice a week. You couldn't play, couldn't dance, couldn't sing. You didn't, you were, they were born out of the skulls and they were unhappy. So they heard this uh, legend from a slave called Tituba from Barbados about witchcraft and voodoo and the devil and all of this. And all of a sudden these girls started to accuse adults they did not like of being witches. And then the clerics, seeing that this could be more power for them, took it and ran with it. And in addition, it was an economic situation. If you were convicted of being a witch, which was 100% guaranteed usually, because there was no defense, I'm not a witch, how do you prove that? Okay, mm -hmm. the government in Salem seized your land and divided it up and all the clerics got money, the judges got money, everybody got money. So it, the horror of Salem is really true. You go to Salem, Massachusetts today, Monica, 25 miles north of Boston, big sign, welcome to Witch City, okay? <laughs> and this Halloween time, literally hundreds of thousands of people descend on Salem because they have this uh, pedestrian mall, they got witch stores, they got this and that. So we wanted to talk to the mayor to say, hey, you're making millions of dollars up there off the dead bodies that were buried 500 yards away from the pedestrian mall. Is there any kind of uneasiness about that? The mayor wouldn't talk to me about it in 2023. <laughs> Didn't want any part of that. Capitalism is eternal, Bill. So at you the time they were making that? money, right? And to this day, they're making money off of this. As Salem's an old witch town, like many New England towns are, an old witch town, an old mill town. And the mills stopped and they had no other way to go. I would have done the same thing, but I'd have a little bit more uh, perspective about it, um, certainly. I don't even know if they sell killing the witches in Salem. I got, I got a couple of friends up there, I gotta give them a call. But anyway, the, the topic is compelling. It goes into American history in the earliest roots. And then Benjamin Franklin gets uh, onto this witch stuff a uh, genius teenager living in Boston, incorporates it, and then brings it as an adult, a powerful adult, to Philadelphia in the constitutional debate. All of that came from the Salem witch trials, and people just don't know it. And then we go to modern times, and here we are, cancel culture. The media loves cancel culture, Monica. They can slap that accusation on page one. They don't care whether you're innocent or guilty. They don't care what evidence you have. All they want is people clicking in to read or buying their paper, listening to their uh, broadcasts. You know, the, the, there are so many important elements to this book. And one of the ones that really struck me is the power of the mob, because we've seen mobs formed throughout history from prehistoric times to Antifa and Black Lives Matter. 
Some mobs or, occur organically, others are created with an objective in mind. We saw it in the Salem uh, mobs. And of course, we see it today, as you point out, but the burning at the stake comes on social media and in the form of cancellation, right? Yeah, um, we don't <clears throat> have burnings in America. This is another interesting factoid, historical factoid. And, you know, all of my books, as you know, because you've read a lot of them, are, you know, impeccably researched. So there were thousands of witches burned at the stake, Joan of Arc being the most famous in Europe, um, because it was a crime against the church. It was heresy to be in the league with the devil doing the devil's work. But the King of England said, no, we don't want any of that. If you're a witch, it's a crime against the state. And therefore, we hang you. We don't burn you. And then, of course, England ruled the New World, so that's translated over. But the mobs today, and you can see it in this Hamas-Israel uh, situation, the mobs today are so easily led. So these idiots, uh, college kids running around, Monica, they couldn't stand up to me or you for 30 seconds. As far as mm -hmm. debate is concerned, they don't know anything. I'm generalizing now. But to hear their rhetoric and, and, and their stupid point of view about ranked terrorism, you go, how ignorant? How did I get into Harvard? And the answer to that is I got into Harvard. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. That's the answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> I mean, but it, it is a mob based mentality is still exists. It existed in Salem in 1692. It exists now in America. And it is, it is this community panic that then it touches off this mass hysteria and creates what we now call social contagion. We talk about that with regard to the transgender agenda and the gender madness. It is a social contagion. And so all logic and reason and intellect go right out the window because it becomes like a peer dynamic and you don't want to look uncool and you don't want to stick your head above everybody else and be a voice of reason. And you see that in the Salem witch trials too. I mean, were there any voices of reason? Did no one stand up and call out this madness? Well, it's very similar to today. There were good people in Salem who knew this was ridiculous, but if they said it out loud, then what happened the next day? They were accused of being a witch. And it wasn't just women accused of being witches, by the way. Men could be accused as well. 20 individuals lost their lives, hundreds in jail, awaiting trial. And the only reason it stopped was the loons in Salem accused the governor's wife, Mary Phipps, of being a witch. So the governor comes back from Maine where he was fighting the Indians, and all of a sudden they say, um, uh, sir, your wife's under arrest for being a witch. And he had the militia, the guns, so he said, enough. That's the only reason it stopped. But if you were a moral good person in Salem and you objected, then you were accused. Now today, if you go against the progressive orthodoxy and speak out, and I've lived this now for 27 years. That's how long I've been doing national commentary. Every day of my life, I'm attacked. Every day. And if you put yourself out and say, no, this progressive tenant is bad, this is awful, they come after you. Same thing on the far right, but not nearly as intense. It is remarkable how human nature just 
never changes. And the context of what we're talking about changes, but the dynamic is still very similar. And you write about this in this book, Killing the Witches. You talk about the, the current context, of course. And you talk about, you know, President Trump is always referring to the unjust prosecutions against him as witch hunts. And they are. So the language has remained the same since Salem, but the dynamic right. has endured as well. And that is why fear is government's most effective weapon against us, right? And not just government, but pressure groups and, and all mm -hmm. kinds of things like that. So the guy who uses the term witch hunt most is Trump, as you just pointed out. So I ran into one of his guys uh, a few days ago and I said, hey, when Trump says witch hunt, can he just hold up the cover of Killing the Witches? <laughs> it would be great marketing for me. Tie <laughs> guy just looks at me like, oh yeah. So anyway, it's absolutely nothing has changed. And that was what fascinated me to begin to research. Um, and we researched the killing books six months. I mean, we were really trying to get things that people don't know. And I think we've succeeded in killing the witches. What surprised you most about that entire uh, situation and that entire time period? How horrible the living conditions were. Because again, Americans are sold this Thanksgiving and here's Squanto and we're going to have a good time and, you know, get the turkey on the table. Okay, that's nice. I mean, I like Thanksgiving, but man, if you came over here to America, not just Massachusetts Bay, but Virginia or any of the early colonies, it, life was so difficult and you didn't last long. 50% of the people on the Mayflower died within a few weeks uh, of landing here, 100 landed in Plymouth. And there is no Plymouth Rock, by the way. They landed in Cape Cod and then they had to kind of segue around because it was, weather was too bad out there. So anyway, when we research these books, we get you right down, put you on the Mayflower, put you into Salem, you're there. And here's something very interesting. Every word of the Salem witch trials was written down. There was a paid scribe by the town leaders because they knew they might be held accountable someday for this. So they wanted a record of everything that was said to defend themselves. And those transcripts are in museums and colleges in New England. And we got them. And the same thing, uh, because we do the last third of the book on modern times, the cancel culture, but also demonic possession today. And we tell you about the real case of the book and movie The Exorcist, a 13-year-old boy in Maryland named Ronald Hunkler. And we were able to get the reports from all the medical doctors that examined Ron and then all the eight Jesuit priests who participated in the three month exorcism. And when you read it, even if you're an atheist, you go, whoa, are all these people lying? Are they all making this up? Because we literally have 20, 30 sources for what was going on with that boy, that young boy. And then we traced his life and what happened to him. And I did that because being a witch is you are possessed by the devil. It's demonic possession. And today, 
in this Halloween time, um, people's, you know, consciousness of evil rises. So, but we as always, no speculation, we tell you what we know and how we know it. And it's so brilliantly done. And yeah, evil is real. And the, the spiritual battle between good versus evil is very real. And that comes off the page in this book. Um, okay, Bill, uh, before we let you go, and speaking of today, what is your sense of where this presidential race is on both sides, Republicans and Democrats? All right, let's take the Democrats first. So Biden is going to get squeezed probably in the next six weeks or so. He's got two things that are going to be very painful for him. Number one, his inability to run the government. So you can see it on the inflation front, on the national debt, on the open border, on the disorder in our cities. It's just unending. He's a terrible president. And number two, evidence is mounting that he himself benefited from his son Hunter and her brother Jim's grifting that he got money, and that's going to stair-step even further. The combination of the two, I think, will prevent him from running again. It's a guess, but boy, I would be surprised if he is on the ballot a year from now. On the Republican side, it's just chaos. So Trump, all of his time now, is taken up by these charges against him. If you look at the charges, they're all low-level beefs. He's not going to prison. That won't happen. This thing, even if he gets convicted, will go right up to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And because it's not bribery or something like that, sedition, it's not any of that. It's basically Trump was undisciplined, which he was. He said things he should not have said, which is true, but it's not at that level to take him out. And I don't see any of his competitors beating him in the primaries. So Trump, very good chance, but because he is Trump, you don't know what's going to happen next Thursday. Anything could happen. <laughs> so it is really a turbulent time in America. It, it is going to be fascinating because their war on Trump, which has now gone on since 2015, when he first came down that escalator, because he's an existential threat to the entire corrupt system and has been exposing all of the, the corruption and the depth of the rot. So they've been after him ever since to destroy him. Their, their final move here is to try to tie him up in court. Uh, drain his resources, have him distracted, and of course convict him and get him into prison, which I agree with you is, is they're going to try, but he's not going to go to prison. But the no. question is, you know, it, it throws this huge monkey wrench into uh, the election next year. On the Democrat side, I agree with you. I do not think Joe Biden is going to make it. He's not going to be the Democrat nominee. But then the question is, who will be? Who's your guess? You know, there's no way uh, that Newsom is going to be able to compete because that state, California, is just, um, it's a disaster. Uh, then you go back to Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota and some of those governors, Whitmer in Michigan. And then there's always a specter of Michelle Obama. She's not going to campaign, 
but she could show up in Chicago next summer at the convention and go, you know, I like uh, I like the nomination. They go, okay, okay. I mean, that's a long shot because there hasn't been any indication she wants to do that, but it could absolutely happen. Yeah, we have been talking about it on this show for a while with our friend Joel Gilbert, who did a documentary about a year and a half ago uh, saying that she was going to do this. I don't know if she's going to pull the trigger. You are right. It's a long shot to wait until the convention next August and then kind of a light on the scene as the reluctant candidate who's been drafted to save her country. It is possible. And I'll tell you, Bill, if if that ends up being the scenario, then President Trump and the Republicans are going to have a very difficult time because she will be the greatest challenge that they could face. A a woman, a woman of color with the entire Obama machine uh, behind her. That would be uh, that would be a steep hill uh, for Donald Trump and the Republicans to defeat. Now, one name that you didn't mention is Kamala Harris. What happens to her? She just fade away. I mean, everybody knows she can't compete for the presidency. Trump would beat her by seven or eight points. I mean, a woman is just inarticulate. She has no uh, record of accomplishment anywhere. Um, You know, even the Democrats know this is not a viable option to defeat Donald Trump. Certainly not. And the Democrats have a real problem because they can't run the the current president and they can't run the current vice president. And Gavin Newsom is running around China right now talking about climate change with Xi Jinping. He thinks he is the president already. This is next year is going to be a hot mess, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, you know, it's good for you and me because, you know, people <laughs> True. Say, well, it's what does Crowley and O'Reilly have to say? But look, I'm not invested in any of that. I my job on BillOReilly.com and my radio outlets, more than 300 stations now, and my writings and all of that is just to bring the facts to the American people. That's what my mandate is. And with the collapse of the corporate media across the board, There isn't one operation that I trust, not one. They're all agenda driven. Um, They're not going to tell you the truth. The people that are presenting the news, whether it's in the newspaper or on television, are frightened and they do what they are told to do. It's not like, you know, 10 years ago, Monica, when you and I were at the apex of the Fox News Channel. It is not like that and it will never come back to that. So the independent voices uh, rise, mm-hmm. um, you know, Killing the Witch is a phenomenal success, closing in on 200,000 copies sold uh, in about a month. And um, people are now looking for independent voices. So you and I are in a, a good spot to um, say what we want to say, and that's desperately needed. Absolutely. You're 100% right. Well, everybody, if you want more of Bill O'Reilly and you can never get too much Bill O'Reilly, BillOReilly.com for the no spin news every day. And the book is Killing the Witches. It's an absolutely fascinating read. You won't be able to put it down. It is so relevant to what is going on today. So please go get it. It makes a great birthday or a holiday gift as well. BillOReilly.com, the book again, Killing the Witches. Bill O'Reilly, everybody. Bill, thank you so much. Sure, I'm quoting you. You can never get enough Bill O'Reilly. Monica Crowley. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a fact, my friend. That is a fact.
Always great talking to you, Monica. Stay well. I'll see you soon. Wow, what a show today, right? Thank you guys so much for being here. As always, we appreciate you. Have a great end to your week, a fantastic and safe weekend. And I will see you right back here next week. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Behakel Entertainment, LLC. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.